Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Damn Recruiting Podcast. The host, Marcus Greaves, Adam Nicholson. Adam, it's like 85 here in Portland right now. I always tell people, I don't know if there's a better city that I've been to. And I I've, I've, feel like I've been to basically every city that every young kid would like. Um, and, man, it's so nice in Portland when it's sunny, man. I can't get over it. It is two weeks in a row. I know. I mean, I feel like last week we were talking about this too. It's warmed up a little bit today than uh, comparatively, but man, the kids were out playing in the sprinklers yesterday, running around, and I was like, man, it's it's got to be like July, right? <laughs> I know, man. It's it's crazy, uh, and just the fact that I was looking at the weather on my phone, I was like, I was like, man, I have this. We have this sunny eighty-five, ninety range for like four or five more days. You know, I'm not I'm not the best swimmer, but I can go attempt to swim. I usually say I go like shins deep, and then after that, like anything after that, my life is on the line. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we got a good show today, everybody. Adam will have his news and notes. Um, I got to sit down our damn uh, hotline guests. Well, actually, we have two. Uh, Adam, I'll let you talk about yours. Um, yeah, I got to talk to Yogi Roth, Pac-12 uh, Network. Studio analyst, football analyst. We just talked a little, uh, basically about expectations for next season, offensively for Oregon State, defensively for Oregon State. What he saw and kind of things that he might change, things that he likes a lot, um, and just kind of where he sees this team landing. You know, in say August, how much they'll grow and everything like that. So that'll be a pretty good one. Um, I'm excited for that. He he was. Man, he, he's a good person to talk to. He's a good person to know. But, Adam, who we got on your side? Hey, I have Jeff Weiser from Baseball Prospectus. And we're going to be talking a little bit MLB draft, some uh, Major League Beaver baseball guys, guys in the minors, Nick Madrigal, Trevor Larnick, that as well as some of the incoming signing class and their uh, prospect or you know, projections for the draft as well and who we need to kind of keep an eye on. So very baseball-heavy talk with uh, Jeff Weiser. All right. That sounds like a good show to me. Well, let's just hit it off. Adam, is it time to do some news and notes? Hey, let's get to it. Yeah, so a lot of action going on right now as far as the Beaver football team and their coaches as they're out on the recruiting trail. Over the last two days, I think there's been something like nine or ten off new offers extended wow. uh, especially okay. out of the socal region so they are definitely hitting taking advantage of this uh whole evaluation period um probably the most active coach right now and getting offers out there is blue adams i know we've talked about him a lot on beaver blitz angie's talked about him a lot as well inside the lodge the guy is a tireless recruiter he's always out there high energy guy um whether he's out on the practice field or recruiting the guy gets it done. So a lot of excitement in for him as he's out there hitting up the LA area, getting to know some of the high school programs and such. Um, but if we're looking at the new offers, let's just start off with one of the top high schools in the entire nation, St. John Bosco. Today alone, what, we got one, two, three, four, four new offers out to St. John Bosco athletes extended personally by Blue Adams who's down there today. Uh, the first one's the cornerback, James Smith. 6'1", 180. Uh, he's got, I think, eight offers now, I do believe. Uh, but definitely fits this mold that we keep talking about, the long-armed, 
um, kind of springy, really quick type of cornerback that uh, Coach Adam really is, you know, honed in on and is recruiting really heavily. Um, kind of the days of, you know, the smaller corners, it seems like, are behind us with as long as Blue Adams is uh, um, leading the defensive back unit. So uh, James Smith, um, definitely one to keep an eye on. We're working to catch up on all these guys, too. Just got offers over the last couple of days. I know myself. Angie, Lucas Aguilar, we're all working the phones trying to get uh, the latest updates for you all all over at uh, Beaver Blitz. Uh, another offer to a St. John Bosco athlete, outside linebacker, Court Williams. Uh, he's got – we're probably a little late to the party on this, admittedly. Um, he's got a laundry list of offers. Right now, if you're looking at the crystal ball here at 24-7 Sports, he's got four uh, – Four predictions put in. They're split between UCLA and Ohio State. So uh, Greg Diggins is his lead expert at 24-7. He's our uh, national recruiting analyst um, who we spoke with a couple weeks ago uh, just prior to the spring game. He's got a, a crystal ball in for Ohio State there. So like I said, maybe a little late to the party in that one. Um, but nonetheless, you never know how things shake out. Uh, another St. John Bosco athlete, safety Jonathan Vaughns, picked up his fourth offer today from Oregon State. Again, Coach Adams, very active there. Uh, kind of interesting here. He's got, like I said, his fourth offer. He's got UCLA, uh, LSU, Oregon State, Penn State. So he's definitely a national recruit. He just hasn't necessarily picked up within the region yet, which is kind of interesting to look at as far as Generally, you see athletes pick up those regional offers early and then kind of grow into more of a national brand. Yeah. Um, but not quite the case with Vaughn's. I know he's kind of crisscrossed the nation, making unofficial visits, and just happened to have picked up these offers along the way. So uh be interesting to hear what he has to say about that. Uh, the last athlete from St. John Bosco to pick up an offer today is defensive tackle Kobe Pepe. Uh, Kind of interesting here, not your typical size for a defensive tackle, but he is definitely effective. Six foot tall, 294 pounds, and he's the, the Beavs are his 15th offer. Um, playing a little behind the eight ball, it looks like, as Oregon's currently leading his recruitment. They got four crystal balls put in uh, in their favor. But, you know, it's it's all it's kind of tough to gauge at times, you know, where the true standing is. Oregon has, you know, they're at, 250 offers now, I do believe, extended to athletes from the 2020 class, um, whereas Oregon State's at, I think they just broke the 120 mark. So who is really, who is Oregon really targeting and recruiting heavily at this point? Still a lot of time to go so they can make up some ground. Uh, if we look back to yesterday, there was, as I said, a flurry of offers that went out yesterday as well, specifically out of the uh, the SoCal region. Again, it's Blue Adams doing work down there. This time he was at the other SoCal powerhouse, uh, Matter Day High School, home of Evan Bennett. Um, Damani Jackson is a class of 2022 athlete. Uh, we got him listed as a safety, but he can really play a multitude of different positions, whether it's receiver or corner or safety or, you know, the kid's only, what, 16 right now. Does he bulk up and maybe play outside linebacker as well? Uh, Crystal Ball is already in in place for USC, so he's going he's gonna to be one of those kids who's going to be a top. He's going to be pushing the five-star boundary as they get evaluated for that class of 2022. 
another new offer out, Matter Day athlete Kyron Ware Hudson, his brother, signed with Oregon last year. Um, Kyron is a class of 2021, so you're starting to see not only these immediate offers going out for 2020 athletes, but they're projecting ahead to athletes from future classes as well. Uh, Jalen Davies, again, uh, class of 2021, picked up an offer from Oregon State yesterday. It's going to be Blue Adams being involved with all these kids here. Um, he's a corner, 5'11", 165. Um, out of matter day there, he's already got a four-star. He's a top. He's going to be a top 100 kid in the nation. Uh, last new offer that will two new. Two more offers, I guess. Kerry Crump, he's a corner out of Culver City, California. Uh, he's actually committed to Arizona right now, but he's picking, he's still picking up offers, which tells me that he's still interested in at least listening to uh, school's pitches. So definitely one to watch there to see how his recruitment plays out, even though he's committed to a Pac-12 rival. The last new offer that went out is to Cooper Darling. He is an offensive lineman. Um, for the 2020 class out of, um, hold on, I'm looking it up again. Um, man, out of California, I do believe, but he's an offensive lineman. Um, Coach Mahalachek is leading his recruitment. I actually reached out to him, and we've been kind of uh, messaging back and forth, so I'm excited to learn more about his process and what he's kind of thinking. He visited for the uh, Oregon State spring game, and so that tells me, again, that he's got a serious interest in Oregon State, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds moving forward. And I think that's about it for new offers that have gone out. Uh, the football program did host a, a group of unofficial visitors this last weekend on campus, including a junior college defensive end Austin Moore out of Saddleback College. Um, we got a new article up on Beaver Blitz that I wrote that's, uh, where he kind of talks about his recruiting process. doesn't have an offer yet, but he's definitely going to be one to keep an eye on as the seasons start up this fall. Uh, we know that... Um, Oregon State is targeting a JUCO defensive end right now. They have a few offers out um, to Ben Key, who's committed to Mississippi State, Alex Lemon, who's committed to Arizona State. Another new one is Tavis Shippen. Um, he's out of uh, Mount San Jacinto Community College. Um, that one just went out recently as well. Uh, he's uncommitted, so but. You know, looking at that, that tells me that they're definitely looking for a JUCO DN prospect to join the ranks with this class, seeing as how we have four JUCO offers out at this early stage. So I think that kind of wraps up the the, the football recruiting um, updates. Uh, if we're talking last weekend, though, uh, the big news that we talked about last week was five-star women's basketball recruit Sasha Goforth, um, who was on campus for her official visit out of uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, we got the recap live at Beaver Blitz. We spoke with her father, Calvin, and they had an absolute great time. Uh, we're currently in this dead period right now. Um, where, which means there's no contact between uh, prospective student-athletes and coaching staffs for women's basketball. So I have a feeling coming out of this, uh, this dead period, we could see the potential for an announcement or possibly one more visit to the hometown University of Arkansas team um, before she decides to make a decision. I know their time frame is quickly approaching. They originally had... Um, 
put out there that they wanted to make a decision some point this summer that's moved up to the next couple of weeks. So that tells me that, you know, things probably went really good for Oregon State and they might be a lean towards OSU right now. All so right. that's perfect. I think that's it for news and notes though. Wow. Okay. That's some good news, man. Hopefully we can get her because um I mean, she's just a baller, man. And it's crazy. <laughs> just a baller. Definitely. And you know what's funny is not to get off topic, but I did watch a video basically saying how there there was a, a video out of a division two male basketball player basically thinking that he can outball this um this woman college basketball player or she or she just got drafted or something like that it was just funny Mm -hmm. because i always tell people i always talk about how you know how great oregon state basketball is i you know i'm constantly just talking about it because i love basketball i do but just seeing a player like her it just reminds me of that because i'm like man like i thought i was really good at basketball and granted i had a couple walk-on offers i had a walk-on offer to oregon state to play basketball but it Mm -hmm. was i just think back and i was like man like Imagine if I played like some of the girls on the basketball team. They would probably beat me one on one. I'm not gonna lie, maybe eleven to five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. Like, I mean, and that's and that's a good thing though, right? Like, you want it, it's just crazy. There's plenty of times that you know us old football players or football players at the time would play against the women's basketball team, and they won't say it. No one will admit it. You know, I'm two years out, so I can say is that we lost a handful of times. Most of the time, I think actually almost every time. <laughs> we lost to him. So, I mean, Coach Coach Ruick is doing a great job. He's and continuing to get this top talent around Corvallis. And like we we've said this a hundred times, man. Like you just have to bring him to Gill Coliseum on a packed game day, and it's like you. It's ridiculous. Like it'll be it next itself, level stuff man. for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Adam, yeah. is that all, is that all you got for us for news and notes? Yeah, I think that's it for news and notes. All right, we might have to go next level. All righty, so we're going to go to next level today. Marcus is at least we're going to be breaking down uh, Zariah Beeson. He is a six foot uh, electric wide receiver out of Duncanville, Texas. Duncanville is one of the premier high school uh, programs in the entire nation. In fact, they were essentially competing for a national championship this last fall um, against uh, Houston North Shore. Um, the winner of that was projected to win that high school national championship. Uh, Zariah is a kid who's in high demand. He's got 23 offers uh, to date, and it's kind of, you know, you name it, he's heard from them at least and has an offer from the likes of OSU, Utah, Arizona State, Arkansas, Baylor, Colorado, Florida, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan State, Nebraska. I mean, the list is long. Uh, But the Beavs are right in the thick of it. They're actually uh, expected to host and host him for an official visit, not this weekend, but next weekend. And uh, he really has attributed this relationship with Oregon State dating back to James Rogers when he was uh, in the role in the recruiting office and kind of that liaison for the football uh, department. And that relationship with James actually dates back to when James was at Nebraska. So it's a very long-standing relationship that he's been able to develop with James Rogers, and then in turn with Kofense, uh, Coach Henson, the wide receivers coach, and Coach Lindgren and Coach Smith have all kind of developed this relationship with him. Um, they'll host him on an official visit, like I said, next weekend. Utah's got one set up for June 21st. But he's really looking to kind of make a decision here in the near future. So uh, if Oregon State can really roll out that red carpet, 
they might have a chance to win him over, and I think that's really exciting. But I think what's even more exciting, though, is watching his film. Marcus, what did you see about him that you liked? Well, first of all, the kid has, man, I, I wrote this down, and every time I take these notes and watch the film and do this breakdown, you know, I always write down, I circle at least three things, right? So I'll write a big list of like five or six things that I'm like, okay, he he's really good at this. I go, I go, uh, great, good, okay, and then I do bad. But unfortunately, I can't really give you guys much bad things about this kid because, my goodness, there's a reason why he has 20-plus offers. So I'll start with this, when he's running his routes, right? And, you know, Adam, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, how mm-hmm. tall How tall is he? He looks like he's like a solid, like, 6'1", maybe. Maybe I, I'm wrong. You know, we have him, we have him listed right at six feet. I when I watched this film, I thought he he definitely plays bigger. He might be pre- pushing six one now, um, but yeah, he, he's right around there. But I I think he plays bigger than he actually is. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the first thing I wrote down with with great is, and I always like saying this because there's a couple receivers that I know, like Brandon Cooks. He would always say these kind of things. And Tyrell Williams is a good friend of mine. Played at Western Oregon now, and then played for. Uh, the Chargers as a draft pick, then now is playing for the Raiders. But this is what I see in Zariah's game. It's he he controls the pace, which creates the space. And so when I say this, when I say controlling this the pace creates the space, I mean when he runs his routes, they're at a, they're at his pace, right? So say coming off the line, he's going to give a slant, right? Instead of sprinting mm-hmm. off the line as fast as he can and then planting his foot as hard as he can and then sprinting, you know, right in, aiming for that outside linebacker, basically as fast as he can, right? That's what it looks like people do on slants. But with him, he creates his own space, doesn't have to push off, doesn't have to get a crazy move, but what he can do and he can do well is control the pace of his routes. And so, say on a slant, instead of exploding off the line, say he takes one of those, you know, maybe a a hop or a little kind of skip towards the defensive back, and when he presses the heel or he presses the toes of the defensive back, he kind of sits back a little bit, right? So the defensive back is like, okay, what is he going to do? I'm going to wait on him. And as anyone knows that plays DB or anything about being a DB, basically if you wait on it, sit on your heels, the wide receiver is going to be able to break you off. This kid does a phenomenal job of creating his own space just by that pace that he goes at. He'll go slow, fast. He'll go fast and slow. He might go intermediate. He might, you know, turn it up, go extremely fast, and then just slow it down. Say he's running a hitch. He'll go as fast as he can, right? And then from there he'll just Mm -hmm. break him off, go super slow out of his break, but then when that happens, right, I'm looking at bigger picture as when he gets to Oregon State or if he comes to Oregon State is a lot of the time we run hitch and goes. And so say he does this hitch, hitch, hitch three times in a row, right, and the DB's like, okay, he's going to run this hitch. I know what this is. He controls that pace, and he has such great body control with that. He can sprint it out, right, slow it down, sit like he's about to obviously catch the hitch out of his break, and then from there, the hitch and go, right? You make a quick move and you go, and he's going to be wide open. He did that a couple of times in his film, and my goodness, man, it's unbelievable. And plenty of times as well as you see how fast he is because they ran on his film. He has, I would say, probably 10 clips of the exact same play, and almost every single time the kid made five or six people miss, found the hole, exploded through it, and scored. It was unbelievable. He has extremely long strides, great body control, he high points the ball, which is always big. But Adam, 
if you know me, and I'm pretty sure you know me pretty well by now, is <laughs> the thing that sticks out to me the most, and I will say this, and I never say this about receivers because, you know, I'm not going to lie. Being a running back and offensive guy, I know in a way I can be a pretty boy, but everyone says receivers are the pretty boys. But this kid is a dog when it comes to blocking. <laughs> I am talking. I was I was watching that. I was like, you are kidding me. There's no way that he seriously does this because there's four or five times even in the first couple minutes of his film where I was like, boy, did he just block? Did he put a blocking clip on his film? And I was like, kids don't do that, right? Kids only want to show the touchdowns. They don't want to show the, you know, the the, the rough work. work. Yeah, the dirty work, the rough work. But he is smart for doing that because I'm telling you, you get a receiver that blocks, and it shows perfectly for Oregon State this season. Oregon State mm-hmm. has Isaiah Hodgins, who I think is a fa- is a fantastic blocker. And last season, Timmy Hernandez was a fa- uh, fantastic blocker as well. And when you have great blockers on the outside, that's what springs those runs. So don't get me wrong, you see Jamar Jefferson, the offensive line, putting in work, right, making guys miss or creating the holes. But then from there, that second line, right, I mean, you go to the third line, and then it's just the defensive backs, either safeties, corners, um, you know what I'm saying. And so from there, if you can get receivers who are willing to put their body on the line and really block, that's where you spring those huge runs. And especially against Arizona State, we saw that so many times, and I thought Isaiah Hodgins did a great job of blocking um, before he got injured against Arizona State, and as well as Washington State, I thought the whole receiving core did a fantastic job of blocking. But blocking downfield is so, is just super important. It's so important, and this kid does it. I wrote it in exclamation points. I said, "Absolute dog!" When it comes to blocking, he puts in the effort. He gets the big blocks, which lead which leads to big runs. Plenty of times, say it was a running back. The quarterback keeper, whatever it is, the quarterback would be running down the right side of the field. There's, you know, maybe two or three defensive backs running, and he's still putting his body in the way. Not even, you know, making the the huge block, but that effort, that extra effort. That's the reason why he has 20 offers. I mean, the kid's a freak. He's phenomenal um, when it comes to just a pure receiver. But man, you don't get those guys too often anymore. That will really block downfield, and so. I'm telling you, Adam, and I, I always say this. <laughs> I swear I say it every single week. I'm like, man, like this is this is a great player. But no, really, the the blocking that he has, I think it's phenomenal. Um, the one thing I will say that I do want to see him improve on, and you know, whatever college he goes to, I'm sure they'll probably say the same thing is um and, and I get it in high school, like I said, I always did the same thing. Sometimes you don't run north and south. You run east and west. Mm-hmm. That's just to try to, you know, use your speed and take advantage of the fact that you're faster than everybody and run around the defense. But there's a handful of times where, I mean, he still did it, so <laughs> it was great because yeah. he st- he would still score on it, right? When you catch the ball yeah. on on like a screen or a or an under screen, and instead of basically planting your foot, getting north and south, which is exactly what the coaches want you to do, right? Because your linemen are coming over, blocking, waving everybody to one side. I would say more more than likely it was the left side for him, but um, he would run, right? He would run the complete opposite way and try to run all the way around the defense, which he would do it, like I said, because he's faster. But it's just something mm-hmm. to keep in mind when you get to college, you're not going to be able to do that because everybody's fast. So everyone's going to be able to come downhill, do those kind of things. But Adam, my man, the blocking, the his ability to control his own pace and control the space. It's so big to win one-on-ones with DBs, and it, half the time people think it's, okay, I just have to be super crisp in my routes, right? I just have to be fast, mm-hmm. right? 
but that's not the case. So there's plenty of times too on this film say he he would be a great deep threat for Oregon State because when he runs those streak routes, those go routes, instead of you know getting right out of it and sprinting as hard as and, and, and as fast as he can, you know he's kind of reading the DB. He gets off slow. You know he's striding out, running fast, but then right the DBs are locked on. They have his, their hands on either his hips or his shoulder pads, whatever. And then from there, let's say he'll slow down, which makes them break down a little more. And then he can just take off. Right. It's just the fact that. He can control his own pace, and it it's so hard for a defensive back to basically predict where he's going to go and how fast or how slow he's going to go there because half the time it's just finding the space. It's not even, you know, a, a lot of people are going to say it's, like I just said, you have to run this route as hard and as fast as you can. No, it's the fact that you have to understand how to control the pace. And, you know, what I said was I, I was talking to a couple of my friends when I was watching this film. I was like, this guy reminds me, like, he runs like Chad Johnson. Because there's plenty of times mm-hmm. that Chad Johnson, you know, he was fast, don't get me wrong, had crazy feet. But what what was he super great at was separation. He always found ways to get separation. This kid does the same thing. It's unbelievable, Adam. I really, really like this guy. Uh, you know, it sounds like he has a, a big list of offers, like you said, 20-plus. But hopefully James Rogers, you know, being the guy that he is, put in a good enough word for us. I don't, I don't think he's with the team anymore, but... Um, he put in a good a good enough word for us <laughs> to at least have him, you know, keep us in, in, in his top decisions because, man, the kid, is, I really like this kid, and the more blocking receivers we can get, the greater our offense is going to be. So that's all I got I for agree. you on that, on that breakdown, man. Beautiful. I think, you know, talking about Zariah, I think he really fits kind of the, the stereotypical Texas high school football athlete where mm-hmm. they are extremely polished extremely well coached and they really do not just the the big things well but he really does a lot of the little things well like like blocking he takes takes that to heart you mm-hmm. know and i think that exemplifies it and dude great breakdown as always man yeah man um, he uh, he reminded me a lot of um former beef hunter jarman hunter jarman was yeah and he that dude was like i i am 100 percent down to block and that's what you know. Running, <laughs> running behind him, I was like, I could, do, I can get used to this, right? Just because <laughs> when you're running downfield and you're like, okay, it's me and two other DBs, and then you see one DB fall, and then Hunter's like sprinting his way right in front of me, like trying to get in the way of the other guy so I can break, you know, break say mm-hmm. towards the center of the field. Those things they matter so much. They really do. That's, you know, those are the kind of things why or how you get your not only your receivers to the next level in and NFL wise but you know that's where you you make your offense look so good and they become so effective because half the time we see you know wide receivers going to run their routes or run their fake routes say on a run play they're going to give like two steps three steps and then they'll stop right and then they'll look towards the mm-hmm. middle and then the DB runs in there and the wide receivers kind of just sitting waiting for the next play but the guys yeah. that give you effort the guys that give you those extra blocks downfield those are the ones that make it to the league, and those are the ones that that spring your offense, you know, to that next level. Definitely, cool, man. Well, yeah, hey. that was a mouthful. I don't know if I, I don't <laughs> that know if I was talking. Great, man. I don't know if I was talking crazy <laughs> fast, but if I was, I'm sorry. No, dude, I'm just taking this all in, man. Like always, coming uh, out of this, I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that uh, yeah. that you know. Not to get off topic, because it's not off topic, but 
just uh, seeing some of these guys, right? Seeing some of the guys that Coach Smith goes after, I really like it. I really like the, you know, the kind of athlete that he's going for. These are the kind of guys that, you know, obviously a lot of people want them, but I would mm-hmm. say the biggest thing is, is half the time you just have to find a coach who clicks with them, right? And that's that's kind yeah. of what it was for me when I was getting recruited was, you know, it, it was cool, don't get me wrong, to go check out the the bigger schools. You know, I got to go check out UW. I checked out Arizona State. Um, I took another official to Boise State when Chris, uh, Chris Peterson was there. It's when they're winning, you know, 12 games. It, it was really cool, but – I loved all those coaches. I thought they were really cool, but it was just something with Coach Riley, right? It was something that clicked with me and him, and that's why I'm saying this staff, right, they might not have the the social media presence or whatever basically the kids are into now. I don't know, the pictures, and I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the photo shoots. <laughs> yeah, the photo shoots that everyone does. Regardless, I just think, you know, I just think it's really cool to finally have – well, not finally, but to have a coaching staff that you could tell – they have certain guys that they really, really want, and they. I feel like they can click with a lot of players, even if right. They might come off as maybe they're a little dorky or nerdy, whatever people say about you know Oregon State's coaching staff. Just seeing that though, mm-hmm. right? Because in a way, I get where they're coming from because they're not they're not like in your face coaches who are gonna scream and say "Let's go, bro!" right and like be just all over the place. They're just laid back, like listen, man. You know, you come here, we know football. Right, and basically yeah. is what I get out of it. We know X's and O's. We know how to get production out of you and how you can basically become the best football player. Because like I always tell yeah. people, man, it's it's the hype. The hype is cool. The hype only lasts for so long until you hit a point where it's like, okay, I'm on campus. Now, it, now it's time to be a football player. And there's plenty of, you know, I, I'm a motivational guy in a way. I like to watch a lot of motion, motivational videos and, um, listen to some speeches, and there was one by this guy, Eric Thomas, um, for anyone who's heard of him, he's a great motivational speaker. He said, everybody wants to be a beast, right, until it's time to do what beasts do, right? And then everyone kind of <laughs> shies away, get that thousand-yard stare like they've never, you know, they've never played a football game before. I don't. I think that's what they're kind of trying to go away from. They want, they want kids to come in who are confident, right? They're not the kind of coaches that are going to go out and get these guys that's like, listen, they're only, you know, they're so hyped up. And I'm not saying it's bad. Don't get me wrong. They've earned, you know, like five-star guys. They earn that five-star. They they yeah. really do. And, I, you know, five-star guys are freaks. Four-star guys are freaks. There's three stars, two stars, one stars, no stars. There's plenty of guys who are freaks, right, when it comes to football. Yeah. They're really skilled, really talented. But it's the fact that you have to find – you have to find the guys that aren't there just for a spotlight. Like, I want a guy who's going to shine or who's going to grind in the dark, right? I want that kind of player because those players, I think, are the ones that – those are the kind of flip your program, like take that next step. Yeah. You know, a, a good story that Storm Woods told me when I had when I was on campus for the first time for Oregon State, Storm was the guy who I took my official with and stayed with. And, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Brandon Cooks and Marcus Wheaton go here. That's so crazy. And I was telling him, he's like, yeah, Brandon Cooks is one of my best friends and – he was telling me, he's like, listen, man, you know, Brandon was a great player when he came in here, a four-star, I think he was. Adam, you might correct me. Yeah. Yeah, he was a four-star. And then, yeah. um, you know, but Storm told me, he's like, listen, man, that dude, he was he was a good player, but he wasn't NFL talent. He forced himself to be NFL talent. Like, he forced himself to work out extra hard, learn the little extra things. He forced himself to be as great as he is now. And he still does that, right? Yeah. You have to force yourself to do that. 
Those are the kind of guys, right? Those are the guys that you want. It doesn't matter how many stars you have. If you have five stars and you do that, that's why you're an NFL player or you're going to be an NFL uh, NFL player. Same thing. No star, five star. I just like the guys that they're going for because the less I, I just look at it as I want guys who actually want to grind, don't just want to, you know, basically get the hype and then get here and then they're going to disappear. I don't want that. But that was my Marcus rant. But there it is. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up Brandon Cooks. He is such a unique um, recruiting story. And I know Angie's told the stories a million times and inside the lodge. And um, he had committed to his dream school at UCLA. I mean, grew up a huge Bruins fan, committed to him. But then as the process continued on, he realized that he probably couldn't achieve his dreams of making it to the NFL and becoming mm-hmm. the player that he wanted to down there at UCLA, whether it was the distractions or the coaching staff not being able to push him to the levels that he wanted to. Um, so he took a, a visit up here because he had heard about Coach Riley and the development of uh, pro-style athletes that he had up here and really came up on the visit and bought in. And he was sold on the development side and how he could develop into the athlete that he wanted to be at Oregon state. And I think it's, it's such a unique take because you really don't hear about that approach too often. And I know Angie will tell it better, but uh, um, I always recall that whenever I think of Brandon. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. I mean, he's, I mean, he, he really did make himself that good. Like people, uh, Nobody, I wouldn't say nobody, but it, it's a it's a crazy story. And he- hearing it firsthand from Storm, his best friend, it was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Just telling him, like, you know, Storm would be laying in his bed at 3 in the morning, right, obviously asleep, and then all of a sudden he's getting phone calls, and it's Brandon. He's like, hey, man, let's go run the stairs. And Storm's like, what are you talking about, man? It's, <laughs> it's 3 a.m., and then, but that's what makes him great, right? Those are the kind of things you have to do. So that's yeah. that's why I say it's so important to find those kind of guys. But you know, that's my rent for y'all. <laughs> there yeah, it is. Yeah, um, that's hey, that's a double dip right there. We got next level, and we got Marcus's rant. <laughs> y'all, y'all should feel blessed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, Adam, do you think it's time to switch over to our damn hotline? Yeah, let's go over to the damn hotline. All right, everybody. Our first guest on the damn hotline is none other. Then the one and only Yogi Roth, Pac-12 network analyst. He is, I'm telling you guys, he's one of my favorite. Everything you need to know about football, he has it. Yogi, what's up, my man? Thank you for hopping on. We appreciate it. Heck yeah, man. I love catching up with you, whether it's at the stadium and you are always looking fly or <laughs> now on your show. And uh, I'm sure the people you know this already, but you are a rising star, and uh, I look forward to many future collaborations. Man, of course. I appreciate that so much, man. I'm just trying to take after you, you know, like we were saying a little bit off air. You're getting fit. You're getting slim, man. You're getting married in a month. Was that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to Bali. Man, and, uh, congrats. We're in the backyard. Yeah, we're pumped. We're, I'm stoked. Uh, I'm lucky. And I actually met her on a plane ride after uh, working uh, Stanford football. Oof. So the Pac-12 helps in so many ways. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's just dive into it, my man. I, I Oregon State this spring, you know, obviously, as we know, last season it was tough for him. Uh, we did see some some major strides, especially offensively. You know, the team is full of weapons. 
They returned some really good players. Just talk about, let's talk about expectations coming into the season. You know, what do you expect from this Oregon State offense next season? Uh, well, I think it's kind of similar to, you know, elements of what we saw. You know, I think they'll score more points, but you know, the middle of the conference and a lot of the statistical categories, um, I think that they'll move the ball. You know, you, you really, when you break them down um, and you look at their games from last year, you know, they were, they were, they had moments of, yeah, we belong. You know, I called the Wazoo game and the first three plays of the game, my partner Ted Robinson and I are like, oh boy, you know, Wazoo scored and then a pop bump blocked, I think, for yeah. a touchdown. And, and you're thinking, this is going to be a long day at the office. And next thing you know, uh, they had the lead, I think, with like a minute into the fourth quarter. Yeah. You know, so I, I look at those things like that. And, and Chris Peterson told me this the day he got the job at UW. I did the first interview with him, like a long sit down. And I said, how long do you think it takes to instill a, cult, a culture and a philosophy within a program? And he said, I think it's minimum 18 months. And you look at what Jonathan Smith came into. Um, it's not like the previous coach departed a better job mm-hmm. like chris peterson when sark left to go to sc you know it was chaotic at best with you know not only gary leaving but then like who's going to be the coach etc so you had to repair elements of a program that for natural reasons was suitably fractured yeah. and i think that's a really fair assessment i would tell that to coach a who i still stay in touch with and i'm a big fan of um and i, I you know i'm sure jonathan would agree to a certain degree um, that there was just some culture building that just naturally happens with new leadership. So I say that on the heels of you look at their games from last year, and it wasn't as though um, they couldn't hang every week. Yeah, you know, like they they competed. I mean, the Cal game I thought was uh, an anomaly, you know, and, and unfortunately I thought that was an opportunity for them to really have gotten a win or just been a little bit more competitive mm-hmm. especially when you look at the, the previous game I think the previous game was was Washington State if, if memory serves me right so I, I like the the moments we saw them I think they're a team that if the Nevada games goes differently if Jake Luton doesn't get hurt um, you know first drive Ohio State maybe some things go differently uh, but every game like at ASU the score doesn't indicate how close that game was yeah. and what Jamar Jefferson was able to do Wazoo game I referenced. Cal, they got routed, but then came back at Colorado in a game nobody thought. And then what was it, like 31 or 31-14 or mm-hmm. something like that at the half or after the first possession in the third quarter? Um, so I thought they fought, even the SC game. You know, if you know, the SC doesn't make a big play, um, then you know, who, who knows what happens. And I don't think they win any of those games, but they're, they're competitive. So I, I think that's promising. But the challenging part is in the Pac-12, there's no layups. You know, OK State at Hawaii. Hawaii's real now. Rolovich is a Pac-12 coach. Absolutely. Cal Poly, triple option, Stanford. Like, it's going to be a fun challenge for those uh, young men who, I believe, is an Oregon State quarter system, or are they semesters? Uh, they're quarter. Yeah, so it's good for them in that regard of, like, their first month of the season, or at least three games, they'll be able to just be all about ball, which I think will just bode well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I always say that, or I've been saying, it's tough really to come in and, you know, you get a new coach, you have all the hype around it, everyone's expecting you to, you know, just flip the program kind of in a heartbeat. And, you know, I've been having to explain to people left and right that it's really not like that. It's more of it takes time, it takes patience. You know, eventually you're going to get the guys exactly how you want. You know, you'll have your horses in the stable, as a lot of people say. You know, like I said, offensively, they're I think they're top of the pack or not 
a top of the pack, but you know, they're towards the upper half. And you know, the biggest question has been for the defense and the defense, man, it, uh, you probably know you've seen it plenty of times. You know, there's just times where you'll leave, it'll leave you scratching your head, but then you see a game like Colorado and you're like, man, like, where has this been? Like they're getting stops. Defensive line looks to be getting pressure, you know, so on and so forth. But then you see a game like Cal, like you said, where it's, you're scratching your head kind of, you know, what happened? What can we do? So, you know, do you have any expectations for, you know, maybe this defense next season, or do you think it's going to kind of be the same and and the offense is really going to have to pull its weight? No, they'll be, they'll be much improved. I mean, you know, they had 146 missed tackles, mm-hmm. at least according to PSF College. Yeah. And that might be off a couple, but my point, like that's 116th in the country. Yeah. Like those are the things that you just can't do. So every coach says it like it's, it's really comes down to, I, I believe well, every coach would say fundamentals and technique. And I think in addition to that, it's how much you love to play. Yeah. You know, cause when it's hard out there and you're, you know, one in four or two and five or whatever it is, like you just gotta, you know, you're playing for something bigger than just like going to the league. Yeah. Right. Even when you're not going to a bowl. And I think that'll probably be, they'll have elements of that, but, I like the returners they have on the defensive front, actually. Like, you know, Isaac Hodges would play everywhere in the yeah. conference. Um, Andre Hughes-Murray, he would con- contribute. And, like, there's players, you know, you look at Matthew Tago to me. Um, that was a steal for them, a great a great get they got last year. And the difference is, is I, all three of those guys played as freshmen. Yeah. And, and they shouldn't, you know, in, in championship-level caliber football for the most part. You know, they should either play four games or less, or redshirt back in the day. So I say that of like, okay, they had to play early. And I thought it was pretty obvious that they were, you know, 20 pounds light. And mm-hmm. when you're playing real dudes that are pulling real guards and, you know, loading up, you know, for the run game and 12 personnel with two tight ends, it's just hard. Yeah. You know, so I think it's just kind of natural. Um, I think they, you saw them as the year went on, they fixed, um, you know, elements of at least fitting, you know, I thought like in terms of run fits and, and, you know, this better than anybody of just like being sound. And I think that's what it comes down to. And for me as an analyst is a four years ago, I start tracking, I got this little sheet next to me up in the booth, uh, that tracks unforced errors. And I got that because I was watching tennis one afternoon and my partner who even met Ted Robinson, who has just changed my life in many ways over the last four years, he's a tennis guy. So he'll do the French open at Wimbledon. And when you watch tennis, you know, they're rallying and it's usually whoever doesn't hit it into the net wins the point. So mm-hmm. I thought about it in football terms and I was like, it's really about in college, like not screwing up. Yeah. You know, not even about like out executing people because schematically nothing's crazy in college football. Um, you know, some teams have moments of brilliance, but it's really about just like, don't miss a tackle. Don't whiff on a block. Don't have a false start. You know, don't have a targeting penalty. Like don't have a drop you know, unforced errors that are totally in the athlete's control. And I think we saw them minimize those as the year went on. Uh, but they got banged up as the year went on, too, and they're trying to run the ball as much as they did. So I think they moved the ball well this year. I think the defense is much improved. Um, and they're going to have to find a way to steal wins because their schedule is brutal, you know, which which is the pack zone. You know, they miss SC, which is a good miss. Uh but it's not like playing UCLA as a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. And you look at kind of the trade-off there. So I'm looking forward to it. I think they'll be really competitive. And uh, I think for the team that's at the bottom of the Pac-12 perceptually, I think they'll be as competitive as a lot of those teams in, in that third tier of the Pac-12. Absolutely. Yogi, 
Thank you so much, my man. We just wanted to, you know, I just had to bring you on. Pick your brain a little bit. Everyone who's listening, you guys can already tell that this dude knows exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> That's why I wanted to bring him on, just get his thoughts. Um, Yogi, my man, I appreciate it so much for having you hop on. I know all the listeners are going to appreciate it as well. You got it. Thanks, brother. All righty, everybody. We're back for another edition of the Damn Hotline here on the Damn Recruiting Podcast, brought to you by Beaver Blitz. We got Jeff Weiser on the line, author of Baseball Perspective. For those of you who've been around Beaver Blitz for a long time, you might remember his name. He actually got a start here at beaverblitz.com, working alongside me, one of my longtime friends. Jeff, thanks for joining us. How you doing today, bud? Excellent, man. It's, uh, it's great to reconnect and, and kind of come back to where I got my start. So big fan of the, the website still, um, you know, big fan of the podcast that, that you guys are doing. So. I'm just really happy to be here. Definitely. I know when Angie listens to this, it's going to put a big smile on her face having you on here. So, uh, A, just wanted to bring you on. We really want to, uh, as the author at Baseball Perspective, kind of get your insight into where uh, some of the guys who left the program last year and went to pursue their professional careers, where they're at right now. Um, as well as kind of touch on the upcoming NLB draft and kind of where the uh, prognosis some of these athletes um, are projected to go in the draft and maybe talk a little bit about that draft cl- or the, the signing class and who may or may not be working their way onto campus. So let's let's go ahead and start here with some of these guys, Nick Madrigal, Trevor Larnick. Uh, what's their impact been so far in the minor leagues and working their way up through the ranks? You know, both those two guys obviously were the, the two highest picks out of Oregon State uh, last year and, and have moved quickly. Um, you know, both looked really good uh, in their pro debuts last fall after signing, and then uh, both have already made it to high A uh, at, in their first pro year. So um, for folks that aren't maybe super familiar with, uh, with kind of the pecking order of the minors, I mean, after these college guys sign, they'll usually end up at a team um, it's, you know, usually what we would kind of call like low A, uh, and that's, you know, teams like the Hillsborough Hops, the Eugene Emeralds, the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes, uh, kind of that level. There's a level above that, um, that's just kind of full season A ball where those guys start alongside, you know, kind of the, the regular major league season. And then the next step off is high A, from high A to double A, double A to triple A, triple A, hopefully the major. So, um, they've already advanced. A couple of levels, which uh, is encouraging. Um, it's not often the guy gets drafted and kind of moves that quickly. So, you know, Madrigal's hitting well. Um, he remains kind of a, a statistical oddity in, in a way. He's struck out four times this season in 102 at bats. <laughs> that's, hey, that's, that's putting the uh, the bat on the ball there, barreling up. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, it's it's kind of incredible, um, you know, for people that, that do watch a lot of Major League Baseball that surely noted over the last few years the way, you know, strikeouts have just continued to trend up and pitchers are throwing harder, and I mean, he's he's seeing that pitching and, and not striking out, so I mean, that he's got a real special ability there. Uh, you know, he's never really going to hit for a whole lot of power, but I think that's okay. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll make enough contact that he'll be really valuable, and you know, Larnick has done has done quite well. Um, also, I mean, he's his stat line is is well above average for his level and his age, and um, he's got a couple home runs already this year. So, um, you know, both guys look really promising, and both guys were first round picks, and and I don't think they've done anything in their time as professionals to really diminish um, the upside that that 
that was seen in them and they were selected. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, if kind of looking broader picture, if you were to put kind of a a percentage of guys, athletes who start off um, in single A and work their way up, you know, is it 20% of guys from single A are able to work their way up to triple A or 5% make their way all the way up to the pro ball, um, you know, the major leagues, where would you think or where would you say that percentage falls? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously really, really low. Um, there are, what, 30 rounds of, of major league draft or 40? Mm-hmm. There's so many that, that at some point, even a guy like me who writes about baseball all the time um, <laughs> loses interest. That's why we the draft. Um, but, yeah, it's an incredibly low percentage. I mean, of the guys that get drafted and will, will even reach, like, double A, I mean, it's probably, you know, 5%, maybe 10%. Yeah. Um, to AAA, to where they'll even further. And then the majors, I mean, you're looking at just, like, you know, it's, it's probably under 5% of players will, will make it that far. So um, it's it's really it's really interesting. And, and part of what, you know, uh, kind of a nice, like, kind of shorthand way to, to follow that, to follow a player's trajectory, it's really just to look at, like, what level they're reaching along the timeline from when they were drafted, how old they are. And if you're moving quickly, I mean, that's a that's a really positive sign. If you're 25 years old and an A-ball, like, that's, that's really not good. Uh, but if you're these, these guys and you're, you know, 22 and on the verge of going to double A, um, you know, after the, the year after you're drafted, that's very encouraging. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you kind of see – it sounds like they might be on a similar trajectory to, like, a Michael Conforto who – what do you spend? A year and a half, maybe down in the minors, something like that. Yeah, two years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these guys are in that sort of that sort of range where they're at high A now. Um, they could be promoted before midseason mm-hmm. uh, if you know if their organizations, if the White Sox and the Twins decide to do that. And then you know, if the White Sox are not going to be a playoff team, the Twins have been really surprising. But like the White Sox could like give Madrigal um, a look at the field, like. In September, when rosters expand, they're going to be well out of the race. Like, they could give him 20 at bats and just kind of see how he does. But you're exactly yeah. right. He is, these two guys are in that sort of, you know, polished college bat, uh, you know, profile that Michael Conforto had. And it's really rare. Uh, you don't see a lot of it, but these are two guys who have to be on the same team. And, you know, that's, that's why they were so successful in college and they're continually forward. So, um, yeah, it'll be, they're, they're really, really fun guys to, Kind of no kidding. Strap the rocket ship to him. Send him right up. You know. Yeah. Um, cool. So you know, do you think in observing kind of well observing Beaver baseball over the last what eight years, something like that, probably longer for you. Um, do you think it's really there? The the coaches are just able to develop this elite talent, or do you think they're they're recruiting at a higher level and being able to take these high level guys? and continue to coach them up, I guess? You know, that's a good question. Um, I do look at, you know, kind of, you know, who they're recruiting and where these kids rank nationally. And it's, it's always really tricky with high school kids, right? Because the cream of the crop are going to get selected in the first couple rounds of the draft, and they're probably not going to make it to campus. And I think, mm-hmm. um, I think Oregon State, by and large, is, has avoided that more than some other major programs. They do recruit from a lot of kind of cold weather areas, um, you know, being the Northwest and, and they got a couple guys this year coming from Canada and, and Minnesota. So those guys, I think 
in, in some sense, uh, scouts have seen less of them as high school players. And so mm-hmm. they're maybe a little less likely to get drafted and actually make it to campus. So I think it's an interesting approach. Um, you have to kind of find that sweet spot of guys, you know, they can't fill up the commit list only to have a bunch of them sign and then be scrambling to fill spots. So uh, they kind of have to find that sweet spot of like the best kids that aren't probably going to sign. Mm-hmm. And so they've done a good job of that, but the amount of data that's available in baseball now is incredible. Um, Oregon State has a TrackMan system at DOS, and that essentially will provide data on, you know, uh, swing speeds, attack angles, launch angles, exit velocities, uh, the spin rates of pitches, all kinds of things. Uh, and they keep that data, and that data will then get passed on to teams as teams are looking to draft players. So, there's a part of it where they're, you know, obviously bringing in talent of high school kids, but then they're developing them, and all that development shows up in the data. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think they've done a really good job of developing kids and being, you know, kind of, uh, I guess I would say, you know, kind of at the forefront of understanding, you know, how the game of baseball's changed. I mean, Trevor Larnick is a guy who was drafted as high as he was because teams were enamored with the exit velocity and how hard he hit the ball and how consistently hard he hit the ball. And, you know, I'm sure a scout, if they're able to sit there and see it, you know, would note that. But to be able to actually quantify it against his peers um, is really valuable. That's crazy. That is crazy. Mind-blowing. But, hey, we're talking about guys <laughs> who are drafted high or projected to draft high. I guess we should shift gears to the current team. And I hear there's a kid who's pretty dang good, homegrown Adley Rushman. Where, you know, What's it? What the sky's the limit? It seems like with them. Um, do you see him going number one, or could he possibly fall down the draft board a little bit? At this point, there's really no concern uh, that he will do anything but go first overall. Um, you know, he'll be the first, you know, number one, you know, one one selection in Oregon State history. Um, you know, I had some conversations with people around the game, and I mean his. You know, his tools from being an above average hitter with, with plus, plus power, uh, potential switch hitting. I mean, we've all seen, you know, what kind of makeup he has and what kind of a leader he is. He's excellent defensively. He's athletic. Um, you know, it's, it's everything you want. I think last year there was a kid out of Georgia Tech, a catcher, Joey Bart, who was drafted second overall, uh, by the Giants. Giants. And, yeah, and I've had uh, scouts say that they think that um, Rushman is a, a far superior player to Tubar, who went second overall last year. And really kind of the, you know, kind of the feeling is that he's, it's not just the draft class. I mean, he's so good that in any year where he wasn't up against someone like Bryce Harper or Stephen Strasburg, he'd probably be the number one overall pick. <laughs> that is phenomenal. So what you're saying is Beaver Nation, Beaver fans, get out there, Get into uh, Goss. Take advantage of seeing him while you can because he's going to be making millions of dollars here in the not-too-far future. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, he's going to get he's gonna get picked by the Orioles. Um, you know, if, if he didn't, it would be a wild surprise. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the Orioles don't have any affiliates out here on the West Coast. So your chance to see your chance to see him anywhere outside of, you know, they say Cofield is uh, – is slipping away, so I would encourage folks to get out and get a look at him. And you know, don't don't take him for granted. I mean, he's a guy that you can just watch everything he does, whether it's how he receives the baseball, his throwing, his blocking, 
how he interacts with his pitchers, and then when he doesn't play, I mean, it's uh, it's a rare opportunity to see someone you know that talented. No kidding. I think the world of it. Great breakdown. Uh, who else do you, on the current roster then has a uh, kind of been drawing interest, I guess, by scouts, and should Beaver Nation kind mm-hmm. of think might be leaving um, as the draft is coming up? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of a number of guys I think that are on the radar. Um, it's it's always a little tricky because uh, kids have you know their own motivations as to you know how willing they are to sign. But if you draft all of the guys, I think uh, Grant Gambrell is the you know kind of the consensus uh, second best professional prospect on the team, but you know, he's had, he's had some injury issues. Um, this is going to be a big weekend for him to kind of see where he's at. I mean, he's, uh, been a little inconsistent in his performance. There's times when he's been up to, you know, like 92 to 95, um, with, with a good breaking ball and other times where he hasn't been quite as good. So I think everyone's kind of waiting to see just how healthy he is. And, and he's got a big weekend ahead of him in terms of a kind of a draft platform. Um, mm-hmm. Bo Phillips is a kid that I, you know, when you look at him, he kind of, he, he looks like what they're supposed to look like. Um, I don't think he's probably a shortstop in professional baseball. He's probably a second baseman or a third baseman, but, but I think that's fine. And, and, you know, he hits the ball hard. He can, you know, he, he likes to go to the opposite field quite a bit. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, I think kind of a, you know, a round sort of maybe like late third through the seventh kind of prospect. And then, um, you know, a kid, I'll never forget the home run he hit against Cal, uh, Allison Gary. Uh, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, hit an absolute bomb. And, and I, I know for a fact there were some, there were some people in attendance of that game that, that made quite an impression with and that kind of reverberated the ground baseball a little bit. So, um, you know, he just has such a short track record. He's only played this season. Um, he does have raw power, but, you know, the athleticism isn't necessarily plus. He might have to be a first baseman long term. And, you know, if he doesn't get picked in the first, you know, 10 rounds or so and doesn't quite get the signing bonus maybe that he's looking for, he's a guy that maybe does come back. So um, he's going to be kind of an interesting one to watch because, you know, it's the Beads, Blues, Rushman, you know, most likely Blues, both Phillips. Uh, getting a guy like Alex and Gary to come back for a year could actually be a real plus for them. Definitely. Cool. Man, I, hey, usually I'm more talkative, but I'm just sitting back taking it all in, man. You get, you're a wealth of information. Um, is there anybody else, I guess, that's that's kind of on the radar for uh, the current roster? Or are you ready to talk a little bit about the signing class? Let's just touch on a couple other guys real fast. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple a couple lefties, um, Brandon Eisert and Jake Mulholland. Um, you know, Eisert, you know, not a hard thrower, but, but could be picked up as kind of a lefty reliever type. I'd just for him to go. You know, uh, maybe around like, you know, 8 through 12, something like that. And then Mulholland is another guy who, uh, has kind of regressed a little bit. I mean, you know, his roles are kind of up and down. So I think a strong close to the season of the draft is just a month away. Um, could do him some favors. And, um, you know, both guys, and especially a guy like Mulholland could, you know, look at a down year and say, hey, that kind of hurts my leverage. Maybe I want to, you know, maybe I want to go back to school for my senior year. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's just going to be really interesting to see even what happens a year from now. I mean, Kevin Abel's obviously been out all year. Um, does he, does he, you know, take like a medical redshirt year and come back? Does he sign? Uh, because as you recall, we obviously didn't see a lot of Drew Rasmussen. Uh, yeah. He was hurt. Um, but he's actually, you know, he was drafted last year and he's actually already up to double A. Um, and 
the stuff is back. He's throwing upper 90s um, and really piling up the strikeouts. So, you know, what does Abel do, you know, with a similar timeline if he's kind of, you know, missed a, missed a bunch of time? So, yeah, kind of a lot a lot to look forward to. But as you alluded to, you know, obviously the, the class is about to get, you know, overhauled again with another fresh, fresh batch of kids coming in. Definitely. Hey, let's touch on Drew Rasmussen real quick. I saw some clips of him. That guy is throwing just lightning right now. I mean, he looks sharper than I can ever than I remember him. And uh for him to be a double A kind of in his comeback season, that's that's pretty phenomenal there too. It's totally, you know, unforeseen, I think. Um <laughs> but but the fact was, I mean, even when he was when he was at Oregon State and at his best, he had you know, he had uh you know, professional level stuff, I guess you would yeah. say. And so He's been working with some shorter stance. He's not, you know, he's actually been starting games, but they've been short starts, like two and three innings as they kind of try to build him up. Um, I'm not exactly sure if the Brewers want to try to get him back into a starter role. Um, with the arm injuries, my guess would be they're probably going to use him as a reliever just to try to like limit the impact and, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in a short stint where he can just like throw gas and he doesn't need to try to save it for like the sixth and seventh inning. Um, you know, he's going to sit there and throw 95 to 98 with a good breaking ball and, uh, you know, just put guys away. And so he, he's someone that if, if fans will come on to look for, like, relatively quickly, I mean, there's a scenario that he maybe even reaches the majors sooner than, like, Magical and Trevor Larnick, even though we haven't seen him in a Bieber, you know, uh, you know, uniform quite as often with all the injuries. Do you think they could be grooming him to be that next power closer in the Brewers um, system where he's, you know, He's getting the the three four innings right now of just work, and then they transition him more towards the back end and further escalate him. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I mean, they have a really good closer now in Josh Hader, but uh, he kind of fits that mold, right? Of a guy who could probably throw more than an inning, which mm-hmm. baseball teams are becoming more and more enamored with. Uh, so he kind of fits the mold, and I, I think that they could transition him to the back of the bullpen. The only thing I'd say is that throwing 95 to 98 is incredible, but it's a lot less incredible now than it was even 10 years ago. So there's a lot of guys that have his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that his time in the past 12 and his time as a starting pitcher has probably improved sort of his pitch craft a little bit more um, than maybe your average, you know, just raw arm speed, you know, a guy that can throw hard but doesn't really know where it's going. Mm-hmm. He's probably a little more refined than that, and that's probably why he's already at, at double A. Cool. Definitely. Hey, so let's touch on this signing class then from the last uh last fall. The Bees signed uh fifteen or twelve athletes, I do believe. Hold on, I gotta get my count up. Um twelve I do believe. Um there's definitely some big names out there that they signed that I guess maybe we should be a little worried or leery of whether they're gonna arrive on campus or not. What are you hearing about like uh Cooper Jerpy out of Woodland, uh, California, who's just been lights out his senior year, or, uh, you know, Drew Gilbert out of Minnesota. You know, I think um, Herpy is a guy that, you know, as like a sophomore, I mean, he was throwing kind of like, you know, mid-80s to, you know, starting to touch the upper 80s, and, and now he's kind of more upper 80s into below 90s. So um, I've seen reports of him kind of up to 91. Um, and, you know, for a kid who's, you know, he's probably still 17. Uh, mm-hmm. he, may have, he may have had his 18th birthday, but he, he's young. Um, there's plenty of, like, you know, uh, progression left in, in his ability to get stronger and throw harder. So 
Um, you know, I, I think, and I'll just say this about all these guys, but it doesn't take much. Um, it doesn't take much for them to get drafted maybe higher than, than expected. I mean, all it really takes is one scouting director to really kind of fall in love with a guy and, and all of a sudden, you know, he's off the board a lot sooner than expected. And maybe that, you know, from a financial standpoint, changes whether or not they arrive on campus. So it's a little more of a wild card with the high school kids, but um, he's been outstanding. Um, and as you alluded to, the Beavs have two uh, pitchers coming in from Minnesota, one uh, lefty Drew Gilbert and righty Greg Frisch. The other, um, both can touch the mid-90s. I mean, we're looking at big-time stuff and two, you know, two high school kids that are already throwing, like, you know, low to mid-90s. Um, those are guys that, again, kind of cold-weather kids. You kind of wonder what will happen when you put them in a, you know, in a past 12 year-round sort of training environment, you know, like uh, how much can they grow from there? Mm-hmm. I would just say neither guy is particularly big, uh, from especially from like a height standpoint. I think Fish is about 6'1", and Gilbert's like 5'11". So the, there's no Randy Johnson there, um, <laughs> but <laughs> both have, you know, uh, it, you just don't see you don't see a lot of high school kids, especially outside of like the state of Texas, that you know can throw in the mid nineties in yeah. high school. So, you know, again, if someone just kind of falls in love with it, you know, maybe they get popped a little earlier than we expect. And you know, it's hard to tell. We don't know exactly what their you know what them and their advisors are telling teams about what it would take to sign them. And we don't know if teams are are willing to go there. And the last guy I'll touch on is uh, Caesar Valero, shortstop from the Canadian high schools. 62-190 now, I think he probably slides to third base and, and maybe has a little work to do cleaning up the swing, but he is a more physical uh, specimen, more physical player, and so I think there's a lot of projection there, both in terms of his ability to hit, but also hit for power. Um, and if he does stick at third base with kind of those shortstop instincts, mm-hmm. uh, he could be a pretty strong defender, too. So those are kind of four guys that I think, you know, as we watch the draft, uh, you know, we sort of as Beaver fans, we kind of cross our fingers and, and hope we don't hear their names called. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to wait, wait till June to see that. Yeah. Uh, Valero Sanchez, I know, is one kid who's definitely kind of been an interesting process. He signed this last fall, but is when they announced his, his uh, letter of intent, it was with the designation that he wouldn't actually be arriving until 2020, the fall of uh, fall of 2020. So a little interesting there and kind of, I guess, makes you a little leery of whether he's going to make his way here. But when I watched this stuff, I was really reminded of a, a Stefan Romero, um, kind of similar build, similar swing pattern, uh, some similar attributes there, too. So, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I think Cooper Jerpy is just phenomenal. He has like eight bombs on the year or something like that. And he's, he's and not to mention four no hitters. I think, in a perfect game. So definitely some quality athletes coming in. I definitely think, agree with you, they're going to be stock risers here in that draft. So, um, yeah, cool. Well, hey, Jeff, if if that's about it we got, um, I don't know if you have anything else or I'm still absorbing uh, everything. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just just like everybody else, you know. I mean, the Beavs have had a little bit of a tough go here down the stretch and you know, just kind of hoping they can kind of right the ship here at the right time. And, you know, we just have to, to really hope that, you know, some of these guys rebound in time for them to make another strong run because there's nothing better than Beaver baseball in Omaha. I mean, that is, it is cynical. Uh, you know, I write about professional baseball. And I 
still nothing better better to me than watching the Bees play in Omaha. Definitely. Hey, you want to plug plug uh, baseball prospectus at all? Yeah, so you can find my work uh, uh, on Baseball Perspectives at BaseballPerspectives.com. Um, we've been kind of a leading uh, analytical website around baseball for the last, uh, shoot, I mean, it's going on 15-plus years now. So um, that's a great place to find my work. And, you know, for anyone who's really interested in kind of sabermetrics and the more analytical side of baseball, um, you know, if you haven't found that resource already, I would, would strongly suggest checking it out. Jeff. My friend, thank you so much. This was incredibly insightful. I know everybody over at Blitz and anybody listening to the Damn Recruiting Podcast is going to absolutely love it. So thank you, and heck, man, you are welcome. We got an open line. You can call in anytime you want. Thanks, man. Go Bees. <laughs> Go Bees. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Adam, do you have anything else to add, my man, before we go? Hey, last week I think you picked my brain on the uh, Blazers. Oh, Who you yeah. got? Game seven, Sunday. Whew. Who you got? It's going to be, oh, I, I mean, I, I'm going to go with the Blazers. I actually have, I have like an, I have a little bit of beef with Jamal Murray now from the Nuggets Ooh. because me and my girlfriend went to the Adidas employee store the other day and this dude was just checking her out. It wouldn't stop. But I was like, uh, I was like standing there. I was like, all right, big homie. Like, I get your six, seven. But you know what? I could probably beat your ass, man. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So we got a little beef. I'm, I'm, ta- I'm taking Blazers, man. I'm taking Blazers. I have to. After that, especially, yep. I'm taking extra hey, Blazers. Dude, they're gonna play forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was at that quadruple overtime game, and the way the series has just gone, there's been you know the last two have kind of been one way for mm-hmm. each of them. I think before that. It, the previous four games have been decided by two points. Yeah. Total. Yeah, I mean, it would not surprise me if this went into extra time here uh, on Sunday. So, But I got the Blazers, too. So bring on the Warriors, right? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Yep. Let's get the better Curry out with the dub as well. <laughs> um, all right, That's everybody. Right. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Damn Recruiting, excuse me, my goodness, podcast with your host, Marcus (laughs) Greaves and Adam Nicholson. We'll be back next week.